If you look in the insert in your bulletin, you have a pogo cartoon. You may have thought that was the children's bulletin. It's not. Uh, There's a cartoon. It's from a man named Walt Kelly and was produced in 1971. It has a famous quote in there. This famous quote is, We have met the enemy and he is us. Now, as I said, Walt Kelly created this for Earth Day. And the point he was making is that if we want to understand who is responsible for the pollution in the world, then we need only to look in the mirror. The enemy, the ones responsible for pollution of our earth, is us. We're the ones who litter. We're the ones who pollute the air and the water of the earth. It's not someone else's fault. And if everyone took responsibility for themselves and how they treated the earth, if each individual decided to do his part, then we can deal with pollution. That's his point. But if everybody blames someone else, then nothing will ever change. So this cartoon is a rather powerful statement, a powerful indictment even. Well, today in this text before us, Jesus is asked a question about pollution. And he's not talking, obviously, about physical pollution like the Pogo cartoon, but he's talking about spiritual pollution. The Jews were very concerned about spiritual pollution or spiritual uncleanliness. And just like Walt Kelly, Jesus makes some powerful statements here about spiritual pollution, and he actually makes the same point. We have met the enemy And he is us, the one responsible for our pollution, for our spiritual pollution, is not our parents, it's not our upbringing, as many uh, like to say today and blame someone else. It's not our circumstances. It's not uh, uh, the problems that we've had to encounter through other relationships. No, our uncleanliness, our spiritual pollution comes from within, from our hearts. Now, let's set this up. My comments are going to be centered around the wrong way to deal with this uh, uncleanliness and the correct way to deal with this uncleanliness, but it needs a little setup. We need to understand some things about sin, because that's what we're talking about here when we talk about uncleanliness or spiritual pollution. We're talking about sin, and we need to understand some things about God's law. Now, first, sin, what, what we mean by spiritual pollution Sin, the, uh, the Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, has a great definition of sin. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. In other words, sin is not doing what God has commanded or it's, it's doing what God has forbidden. So there's sins of omission and commission. You can fail to do what God has commanded you to do, or you can do what God has forbidden you to do. In both of these cases, it is sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's imperfection. God has given us information from the very beginning about what is right and what is wrong. He has created a standard. A lot of people today think that we decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. 
or the laws that we have were derived from the consensus of the people. But that's not what we're talking about here. Law, what is right and wrong, is defined by God. Jesus talks about the word of God or the law of God. And he says it is you know, not within you or something that you've decided on. God has put a standard out there. He's, he's given it to us. And it is what it is. He's the creator. He made the rules and the laws. He defined what is right and wrong. When God gave uh, the mankind his law, Adam in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam chose not to follow that law. He rebelled against God and said, I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to refrain from eating of that tree of knowledge like you've commanded me to refrain from. I'm going to do it anyway. And because of his sin, he became a sinner. His condition changed. And he has passed that down to all of mankind. Adam became unclean. And by ordinary generation, mankind became unclean as well. Adam became a sinner. And that makes us sinners. And we're that by nature. We're born with it. The larger catechism, I won't read it all to you because it's all in 1640s language, but it talks to us about the sinfulness of mankind's estate, the state that man is in, the sinful state. What is it? What is it? What does it consist of? Well, we, we bear the guilt of Adam's first sin, it says. Uh, there's an old saying that Puritans used to say, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. When Adam sinned, all of mankind fell with him and became sinners as well. And that means that we lack his original righteousness. When Adam was created, he was perfect. He had not broken the law. And when we're born, we don't have that option. We're not born righteous because of Adam's first sin. And his nature, when he sinned, became corrupt. And that has happened to us as well. He passed his nature along to us. So we are sinners by nature, corrupt by nature. And that means that we are utterly, as it says in the Catechism, utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite unto all that is spiritually good and wholly inclined to all evil and that continually. Now that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? You know, I'm not a bad guy. Uh, I don't do evil continually, do I? So how can the catechism say that we're utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite unto all that is spiritually good when we do, in fact, do good things? Well, the answer to that is because we never keep the law perfectly. And this is getting to the crux of what Jesus is talking about today. The law is not just an external thing. It's not simply... uh, looking at one's actions and saying, well, I've never killed anybody. There's more to it than that. There's the intent of the heart. That's what Jesus is driving at in his remarks to these Pharisees, to these elders in the church. Uh, Each commandment is not only against certain behaviors, but it's also against the root attitudes and behaviors that underline those actions. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, you say, do not commit adultery. 
Or Moses said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. So see, Jesus is not uh, limiting the law. He's expanding it to, to not just be the external action, but the intent and motivation of the heart. So each commandment is against not only the, the behavior, the sinful behavior, but against the attitudes and motivations. Every act of murder springs from malice. So malice is like an acorn. Murder is the tree. And everybody's got those acorns in their heart. Those acorns just need a little water. You know, we've got a lot of acorns out on the ground from these beautiful live oaks out here. And a few weeks ago, we had our work day. I wanted to get rid of all those acorns because people, I mean, it's like marbles out there. You can fall down. But each one of those acorns has in it the seed of one of these great oaks. All it needs is the right conditions, and it will blossom. So in our hearts, we have the acorns of all kinds of sin because we're sinners by condition. And all we need is a little water, a little sunshine on that acorn of sin, and it will blossom. Sin is not merely a deed that fails God's standards, but it's the motives that fail us as well. If any moment we are you know, failing to love God with all of our heart, which is the greatest commandment, and all the other commandments are summed up in loving God with all of your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, anytime we fall short of that, we're, we're failing the greatest commandments. And that's why Isaiah can say, even our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even our best deeds, they're tainted with sin. So when the Catechism talks about you know, being indisposed to sin, even when we... Uh, do the nicest and most wonderful things, it's, it's saying, look, even at those moments, our good deeds are tainted with sinful motivations and wrong attitudes. We cannot escape it. So why do we have the law? What is the purpose of the law? If we can't keep it, we're always breaking it. Well, it's a mirror, as Paul says. It's a tutor. It, it helps you see your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, your own inability to meet God's standard. It's a tutor. It drives you to Christ. It helps you to understand some things. It teaches you some things. It doesn't teach you how you can please God and earn His favor. It teaches you how you cannot. It shows us God's perfect standard and how far we fall from it. Now, in the Old Testament, you had all these laws that had to do with cleanliness. And those things were fulfilled in Christ. We don't talk a lot about those because they don't apply to us anymore. This passage even said that. He declared all foods clean. But it was a good illustration. See, the law was teaching the people about their own pollution. When you think about uh, a literally dirty person, they're unsightly, they're unhygienic, uh, they are on their way to getting sick if they're really a filthy person, or they can pass that sickness on to others. So in the Old Testament, physical cleanliness became seen as a symbolic of being clean spiritually and morally, acceptable to come before a holy God in his holy place. And it's a good illustration, isn't it? Because sin destroys uh, most of the symbolic substances or processes called unclean, 
by the Old Testament had to do with death and disease and decay and pollution and infection. You know, you couldn't touch anyone who was a leper or had a skin disease. You, you couldn't touch a dead body or you would be unclean. It's not only uh, a part of worship and part of coming before a holy God that you didn't want to do those things, but it's also a good practice. You know, it's a healthy practice. Uh, but, it, but sin is seen as destroying its bearer. It eat away, eats away at the fabric of a person. In Sunday school today, we talked about the lepers who were healed by Jesus. And that's literally what leprosy did. It, it ate away the flesh on your body. So sin eats away at your soul. It's a picture of that. Sin defiles not only by destroying but by isolating. When someone is unclean physically, when they're dirty, nobody wants to be around them. They're dirty or smelly. You know, they get ostracized. Nobody wants to hang. and they, they are seen to be unpleasant and even dangerous sometimes. So in all cultures, it's understand, understood that we wash and clean ourselves in order to meet people or go to uh, parties, social situations. You know, you put on your best, you clean up. So the same is with sin. Sin cuts us off from fellowship with the Holy God. Sin also devils by disfiguring. Dirt stains, discolors, misshapes, tarnishes, all these things are symbols of corruptness. Sin makes the heart and soul repulsive and ugly. So you can see why these clean laws are helping us to see our own spiritual uncleanness. It's kind of like fasting. You know, fasting is a way to help communicate spiritual hunger. When we fast, we, are, we have physical hunger. We're going without food. And it's a symbol of our spiritual hunger. We're saying to God, Lord, I really need you and I really want you at this time. And this physical hunger, I'm denying myself food to remind me of that and to, to show my seriousness about my spiritual hunger. But we don't, it would be a mistake to say that our physical hunger is our spiritual hunger. It's the same way with those laws. You can wash your hands, you can go through all the rituals, but it would be a mistake to say because I've done all these rituals that I'm actually spiritually clean. That's the mistake that the elders and Pharisees were making in Jesus' day. The law didn't humble them. But it was an opportunity for them to justify themselves. Well, I've done this, this, and this. I've washed my hands. I've not touched a dead person. I've followed all these rules. And so, therefore, I must be spiritually clean. And we can do the same thing today. We can say, well, I've done this. I've read my Bible. I've done this ritual. I've done that. And, therefore, I am spiritually clean before God. That would be a mistake to think that way. Well, let's look at these two ways that we can deal with pollution or sin. The wrong way, first of all, to deal with pollution or sin. First of all, we see these elders coming to Jesus. And uh, they're concerned about that the disciples have not washed their hands before they ate. And we think, well, everybody should wash their hands before we eat. It's a cultural thing with us, and, and it's good hygiene. But in the Bible, the only people who were required to wash was the priests at the temple. Not all people. Not to do it as a spiritual worship ritual on a daily basis. 
But these elders and Pharisees had developed a fence around the law, uh, more specific and strict rules surrounding the law, uh, and that was just a way to be safe and secure. These rules were designed to be a buffer zone to protect people from breaking the broader principles of the biblical law. So, as I said before, not everybody was required to wash with water. However, continual washing was justified in case there had been any unconscious contact with someone or something unclean. You know, how do you, you, maybe you did come past a leper. You don't, you, you didn't know it. So this was a safeguard to make sure everybody, so really, it was a way to be super spiritual. If I do these things, then I, I'm certain. And what, wouldn't God really like it if I was gone the extra mile for him to make sure that I was clean? And if you refuse to do so, this was the concern of those elders, well, it shows moral laxity, that you're indifferent toward holiness. And that's why they came to Jesus and asked that question. Now you think, well, that argument has some weight. You know, why not play it safe? If you really want to please God, why not go the extra trouble just in case? What reason could you have for refusing to obey this perfectly reasonable tradition except a selfish or self-righteous spirit? You know, if you're really a faithful person, you want to follow the rules in detail. But see, they missed the point. They think that uncleanness is an external problem, and therefore it leads to a mistaken response and solution, that you can deal with your internal heart problem by following a, a set of external rules. Jesus condemns them, and he gives an example. He said to them in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They're doing the right things in, in a one sense, but it's not affecting their heart, which is where the real problem lies. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So there was a concern uh, that they knew that God had given the law, but they had added a bunch of laws to it as a safeguard, and it ended up the laws that were around the law of God gained precedence over the actual law of God. He gives the example that you know the law tells you you're supposed to honor your father and mother, but there was a provision in Leviticus 27, you can read about it, about dedicating things to God. So people who had an inheritance, you know, you needed to take care of your uh, older parents, some people would get out of that if they maybe resented their parents or had something against them. They would say, well, everything that I was going to give to you, mom and dad, I have dedicated to God. So it made them look super spiritual and allowed them to not have to honor their father and mother. And that's what Jesus is condemning. See, you're following these provisions that the elders have made of dedicating things to God, but you've not fulfilled the, the, one of the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. It's one example of many, because he goes on and says, you know, many such things you do, he says in verse 13. These extra laws at first seemed 
on the first side to honor God's law and His holiness, but it actually undercuts the law's demands because it doesn't get to the heart of the matter. It leads to self-righteousness and a holier-than-thou attitude. Well, I wash my hands and you don't, so I must be holier than you are. Well, that has nothing to do with it. It just means you have clean hands and I don't. We have a tendency to do the same thing even as Christians. We, we boil Christianity down, and I did this when I was a young person, when I was a junior high or high schooler. You know, you know I, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do. And I classified people as being Christians or not on certain moral behaviors, certain external behaviors. Well, if you listen to this kind of music, or if you hung out with these people, or if you, you did that, then certainly you're not a Christian. And I thought, well, I'm, I am a Christian because I do listen to this good kind of music, and I don't go and do this behavior. So, you see, I was being nothing more than these Pharisees, these hypocrites. I was just looking at the outward behavior. And I was feeling good about myself based on following this man-made set of rules. Led me to be an obnoxious eighth grader with a big Bible that I would beat people over the head with. Wanting to convert them. But they were much better off not being converted to my false religion because I was just giving them laws to follow. And a self-righteousness, which is really no righteousness at all. Because it does not get to the heart problem. Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. The right way to deal with our sin is not by following a set of rules. You can't, the law was not designed to, to save you. It was designed to show you that you cannot save yourself. Because you cannot keep the law. The right way to deal with pollution is sin. Jesus shows that the problem of defilement is not an outside job that can be dealt with by self-improvement, but an inside condition that can only be dealt with by radical intervention and grace. Real uncleanliness is not a matter of external observance. Sin begins inside in the motives and the desires of the heart. The actual behavioral transgressions or sins that we commit are only the fruit The root is in our hearts. The root consists of attitudes, selfishness, pride, rebellion to God, and so on. If you look at the list that Jesus gives us, he talks about all the different things that arise out of our hearts. And you can see he's not just listing off the Ten Commandments. He's listing off attitudes, evil things that verse 23 Sorry, verse 21. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. You see, evil thoughts are first, then sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. So there's a mix of actual behaviors, but also many attitudes of the heart. All these evil things come from within and they are what defile a person. So the correct assessment is that we are the problem. That it's it's sin in our hearts. It's not that we just it's not simply that we sin, it's that we are sinners 
by nature, even before we actually did anything, we were sinners because it was handed down to us from Adam. It's a, it's a disposition of our hearts. So the correct assessment is our hearts are the problem. That's where it all comes from. And when you make that correct assessment, it leads you to the correct response. Now, in looking at this passage, uh, initially you looked at the first 23 verses, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, Jesus kind of leaves us hanging here because he tells us where the problem comes from, but he does not propose a solution to the problem. At least it's not recorded for us by Mark that Jesus actually said specifically what the issue is or how the issue can be resolved. He says, look, it's what's within you that defiles a person, but then he doesn't say, now how do you deal with that? But Mark does, because Mark is a master gospel writer. And and this next section, uh, I was looking forward to next week, what I might preach, and I was like, what am I going to say about this Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus, and Jesus says this strange stuff to him, and he responds, uh, that's going to take a little study next week during Thanksgiving break. So I was concerned about that and thinking it through and planning ahead. But then this morning I thought, well, this, Mark has put this particular, uh, he's recorded this event for us to show us exactly what the proper response is to this knowledge that the problem is within us. She is a great example. If you recall, this Jesus, uh, in verse 24, goes to Tyre and Sidon. That's a Gentile area. Everybody there, these Gentiles, they would be unclean people. And it tells us that, that this woman's daughter had an unclean spirit. And she comes to Jesus and has heard of his fame, that he can possibly heal his daughter, heal her daughter. And she begs him. And he says to her this strange statement, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, wow. That's a pretty harsh statement at face value. I don't want to spend, there's a lot of been, been a lot of ink spilt on what Jesus meant here. I don't think he's trying to insult her or be racist about it or to look down upon Syrophoenician people. Uh, he's talking about either that it's time for him to minister to his disciples and the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles later, uh, or, or it's time for him to minister first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, and that's what's going to happen in the book of Acts. Either way, he's saying, look, you know, you are not the person next in line to get the gospel. It's not your turn to come, and, and it's a bit inappropriate that you, an unclean Gentile, are coming to me, a rabbi. He's not looking down on her, but he's giving her a test of faith to see how she responds. Because as soon as she responds, the daughter, he heals the daughter. But he wants to see her response. And she says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She does not deny that she's a dog. She doesn't say, how dare you say that I'm a dog? She says, even the lowest can get a few scraps from the table. She's, in essence, what she's saying is, I see my brokenness, I see my great need, and I know I'm not worthy of it but I'm asking for your grace and mercy. And that, friends, is the most 
beautiful expression, the most proper response to this knowledge that our deepest problem is within us. It's not to say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. It's to say, I am a dog, and I don't deserve anything. I'm broken inside, and I need help. I need you to do something supernatural. I need you to change my heart. I need you to save me. And Jesus can do that, just like he healed that little, little girl. He didn't have to go see her. It just, he just said, your, your daughter is healed. And she went and found that it was true at that very moment. Well, I've tried to introduce you to someone today, the enemy. Have you met the enemy? Do you know who the enemy is? He is us. He's you. He's me. Our own worst enemy. It's our own sinfulness. We're unclean from within. The good news is there's a solution to that, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only person who ever lived on this earth who was perfectly clean. Yet for our sake, in our place, he was treated as unclean. He was crucified outside the camp where unclean people went, on a garbage dump where there was all kinds of uncleanliness. And he did that so that we could draw near to God in full assurance having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He made it possible. How can we respond to God? Well, man-made religion gets the diagnosis wrong and has nothing to do with the cure. The source of evil is our sinful hearts. Man desires to follow rules in order to be righteous before God, yet Jesus presents himself as the only way to be righteous before God, and it's free. All we have to do is, as it says, the quote on the front of the bulletin says, from Paul Tripp, Sin is your greatest problem. Grace is your deepest need. Jesus is your only hope. Faith admits, admits these things, bows down, believes, and rests. Rest in Christ today. Cry out to him. Let's pray together.